Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I am really grateful for all of you for listening. I just, I know that's cheesy, but thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out to me and letting me know what you enjoy about the podcast, questions you have, what you want to hear next on the podcast. Thank you for subscribing, for posting about it on LinkedIn, for interacting with my content on LinkedIn. I just, I wanted to start this episode with a little bit of gratitude for you guys. So thank you. I really am blown away with how much it's grown. I talked about on the end of um, last Thursday's episode about one of my listeners who legitimately, and it's a fair question, asked, hey, I heard you said that your you know listeners have tripled in the last few months. Do you think that's because fraudsters have cut on. And I really don't because we've been putting in some effort. My podcast producer, Lucas Walker at Rolled Up Networks, he is exceptional to work with. And we've done some strategic things to grow the audience very organically. And so if we hadn't been putting any effort into it and we saw this spike all of a sudden, I would definitely be more concerned. But obviously this is a public platform. And like I talked about with Galit and Shoshana on last week's interview episode on Tuesday, I'm very conscious of that. There are some things that I will never, ever say on the podcast. And also I am pretty conscious of not just giving how-tos or recipes. A lot of times this is information that if somebody isn't fighting fraud or isn't supporting fraud fighters, they're not really going to understand or care about. And lastly, I would have seen just a steep spike out of the blue because something would be posted in a forum and we'd see that. In the past, my previous podcast was posted in a few fraud forums, unbeknownst to me, and we saw that in the data. So anyway, just thought that I would start there that I'm not too worried about it, but even if they did, I don't think they'd get as much out of it as you do. Also, like I said, there are some, we have very few advantages and the advantages that we do have, I am keeping those close to the vest. So as much as I talk on this podcast, I'm very conscious of what I say. <laughs> on that note, I honestly just kind of want to dive in to talk to you guys about who you get to listen to today. I got the opportunity to have a really good conversation with Ian Mitchell. If he's not a name you're familiar with, you will want to be familiar with him and connect with him on LinkedIn as soon as possible. He has been a fraud fighter for over 20 years, focused on financial crime, and is well known in fraud on the banking side. He's worked for companies such as Citibank, GE Capital, USAA, Ally, Fifth Third Bank, as well as PwC. He was the principal head of financial services and fraud there until about a year or two ago. Ian is also the founder of The Noble, a nonprofit and growing network of fraud, cyber, and fintech and financial crime professionals with a passion for protecting vulnerable populations. So they've created a network to use fraud fighting skills and data analysis to fight human crimes, such as human trafficking, financial scams, child exploitation, and elder abuse and scams. And while a lot of the members and interested people in the network to help are in banking, as I've gotten to know Ian over the last year and a half, and shout out to our mutual friend, Frank McKenna, for making that introduction about two years ago, I've really felt like there's a strong need for fraud fighters in the e-commerce, fintech, and marketplace to also be aware and get involved with what The Noble is doing. I know that a lot of you also see signs of these abuses on your networks, and a lot of you would also like to help and be a part of this mission. You'll hear it in Ian's voice how passionate he is about it, and that's something that I really admire and can relate to on several different levels. A lot of times as fraud fighters, we're aware that a large percentage of fraud and financial crime and that they fund evil such as human trafficking and terrorism and other forms of organized crime. But because our primary goal is saving our company's money, which is important, we don't 
always look beyond stopping the fraud and nor can we or we don't know what to look for, to be honest. And that's part of the Noble's mission is to educate fraud fighters on what human trafficking looks like on your systems. What are those little pieces of data that can tell you, just like we can put crazy small pieces of data together to look at a bigger picture, especially with machine learning and big data and AI, so can be same for are seen for these types of crimes, not only in banking and fintech, but also in e-commerce and marketplaces. I've heard from several of you a few anecdotes of things that you've seen in your systems, and I shared a few on my interview with Ian, and I'm sure that you'll be thinking of some yourself as you listen to this interview. I really enjoyed talking with Ian, as you all know, I and have heard in my previous conversations with fraud fighters that we all have commonalities in our stories and in our passions. And today was no different, especially because I got a chance to kind of not just commiserate, but connect with someone who is as passionate about fraud fighting as I am. And so passionate that at one point in our career, we had serious burnout where, as Ian calls it, he wore all the tread off of his tires. I've been there too. I've talked about it in the past and it really shaped the rest. of. I had to course correct a lot in my journey and in my career. And so did he. And it's led to some really interesting things that never would have happened otherwise. So in today's conversation, we talk about Ian's career path in financial fraud and banking fraud, what he loves about fighting fraud and the evolution of our approach to fraud over the last 20 years. I have to say his perspective on the three different phases we've had in fraud fighting over the last 20 years was actually really just kind of blew my mind a little bit. I hadn't thought of it in that way or in those ways, actually, of how we first started fighting fraud to the kind of the middle to now. And I'm sure it will continue to evolve. I mean, it already is. So that was really fascinating for me. We also talk about what led to his career burnout and how taking a break from fraud led him back to fighting fraud, but with a newfound purpose. And we talk about how financial fraud funds human crimes and victimizes vulnerable people, such as human trafficking, financial scams, child exploitation, and elder abuse. I will say we don't get into the specific details on purpose. We kept it kind of high level. However, if you are more interested in specific details of how these financial crimes are funding human trafficking and other crimes, as well as what those look like and play out as, that is definitely something you can reach out to Ian or anyone else on the board at the Noble to talk more about. And then we finally wrapped up on how fraud fighters are uniquely equipped to help combat these issues through collaboration and education. I can't wait for you to listen to my conversation with Ian. But first, a quick word about this week's sponsor. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, 
and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. Welcome back to Fraudology. Ian Mitchell, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Chris, for having me. I'm excited about this. This will be fun. I'm looking forward to spending a little more time talking fraud and just spending more time with each other in general. It's going to be great. I agree. I have long wanted you to join the Fraudology podcast, so I am very glad that you're here and that we got it to work. Thank you. So just starting out, you have been a passionate fraud fighter for about 20 years. Can you share a little bit about your career in the fraud space? Yeah, it's actually, it's funny. I'm, I'm finding myself getting old when I start talking about this. I'm about to hit 25 years in the fraud space now. I, I started out of right out of college in Seattle. I, we were talking earlier how, how I went to UW out there and yeah. I got into the dot coms and, and they gave some kid on a call center a chance to start a fraud department at uh drugstore.com, which was just an internet company out in Seattle and did one of the first fraud kind of things in the industry. I remember going over to Amazon when they just were starting theirs and it's just that cut my teeth there. But I actually was getting into, got into that on my way down to LA because I was doing a lot of print and video work. So I was actually interning at an ABC television there, the local affiliate there in Seattle. And I was doing a lot of ads for commercials and all kinds of stuff. And I just went to go and earn some stock options before I was going down to LA to undo TV. You were a smart 20 year old though. That was the plan. Plan for me. And then I just found this, I was so funny. I was taking these calls and I, I found this opportunity for doing bulk order shipping. And I started calling everybody that had giant orders that were on hold. And as I started going now being fraud people, I think this is funny. Now I've got, I started calling all these, these giant orders are being placed and we were having a problem fulfilling them. I started having an issue trying to find the customer. And so I ended up having to call MasterCard and ask them where these customers were. And MasterCard would say, these are fraudsters. You can't do anything with them. And, and sure enough, I started finding these fraud rings and I started canceling sales. The CFO started saying, what the heck is this customer yep. service rep doing? And that whole story, I think you've heard it probably 50 times in your interviews. I've but lived I will tell you, it. You've lived it. And so <laughs> that's kind of where it started. And then and then Citibank didn't know much at the time, or at least the, the division I was in about internet fraud. And they hired an internet fraud person. And, and I've been in it ever since. And I have since forgotten about the TV stuff. And I've been having a blast. So I've been at USAA and GE. I said City, Ally Financial, Fifth Third. I'm sure I'm forgetting something in there, but I was the head of fraud at Ally across 22 countries. I loved that because I grew up overseas. So I was in Shanghai a couple times a year in Brazil, and I've worked with a wonderful team internationally. And then at Fifth Third recently, I retired early, not because I could afford to, just because I was done with corporate America. I retired early about six years ago now, and I just decided to grow up my beard and focus on music. And I wrote a couple books and I just was ready to do something different. And mm. that was what I thought was the end of my fraud career. And then we'll talk about the noble, but it just, it clearly wasn't. Mm. Um, but I had a great time. I started in analytics and I just ended up finding a way to lead these amazing fraud teams. It's been such a blessing and I've been very fortunate to find this awesome career. It's cheesy. And I feel like people have heard me say this many times, but I just think it's so true that most of us, I would say there's a few people here and there that are just entering fraud that are intentional about wanting to be in fraud. But the majority of us, especially anyone that's been in it over 10 years, we fell into it by accident. Oh, yeah. But we stay on purpose. Once you're in, you're in. Like once you get the bug, the fraud bug, so to speak, like you're in. And I think all of us, I was going to be a teacher. We all were going to be different things. And then life has different plans. But well, I think, our, yeah. As I was gonna say, during our time, fraud went from investigations driven mm -hmm. to operational and then to analytics and predictive. And we kind of walked you're through that so journey in right. our career. And so what it needed is a new mm -hmm. wave of people that weren't necessarily, this is not going to sound insulting, but cops and robbers, kind of law enforcement people. Yeah. And so coming out of the, the dot com, we had to be a little bit more tech savvy and operational in our view. And then I learned on analytics. So I was a SaaS, mm -hmm. a terrible SaaS programmer, but I was a SaaS coder. And still one of the highlights of my career was meeting Dr. Goodnight a couple of times. And he's the CEO of SaaS. And so mm -hmm. to me, I learned that and I had an appreciation for analytics, but it was this shift from the reactive way to fight fraud yes. to more proactive, right? And not quite to where we are today, but we lived that. And it, that's why I think a lot of us got pulled in from different fields that weren't necessarily law enforcement. 
but that's just my two cents. I really like that. I haven't thought about that, but you're so right. I will sometimes joke that I feel like the fraud historian because as being in it for so long, it's like, oh yeah, we saw that back in 2008. This is just a different flavor or yeah, friendly fraud didn't exist until this or, oh, this happened when EMB. But I haven't thought of it in the way that collectively we did start out investigative and reactive and every company on at a different timeline had to have their oh shit moment yeah. and be like, oh, we need to care about this. And I think a lot of us in tech and in that side, whether it was the merchant side or others, were on customer service first. And yeah. we were just the extra inquisitive ones and the ones who love to solve problems and puzzles and watch mysteries in our off hours and all of that. And this challenges us every day. And but then we moved to more operational. And I think these days I am here for being more analytical and surgical yeah. because I've seen the downsides of being investigative and operate. I mean, every all three of those pieces are important, but I think that when you're analytical, when you focus more on analytics, you're able to be more precise and have less good customers be impacted. And that's the way business should be done, at least from my perspective. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think honestly, we were in the middle of a new generation, a new wave when we talk cryptocurrency and really the true digitalization of everything. And we, we kind of lived through the modernization and the introduction of the cyber space. Mm. But I, I think analytics really led our coming up. And I look at so many of the jobs that I've had where it was about coming in and optimizing both losses and customer experience. Yep. And it was all an analytical exercise. It's interesting now as, as we look at the new wave of fraud professionals of the cryptocurrency and the deep understanding of intelligence. It went from analytics mm. to now intelligence. It's interesting to see this evolution and the assumptions are the foundations that we've laid, the law enforcement professionals that have been doing it before us, operations, mm. analytics. And now when you talk about the intelligence led, it all assumes that there's a foundation of these components, but the, the use of intelligence and the third party and integration of data and just the whole customer view, I, I just look at it as one, it's the understanding of the financial crime challenge we're in, not no, mm-hmm. so the microcosm of fraud, but how it's connected. And we'll talk about this to all, mm-hmm. all kinds of other crimes. But secondly, it's to me how we look at the customer and we're enabling the customer journey because of our security controls. That is where I think we are. And we're bumping around and feeling our way through this process and our infrastructure, our technology finally can keep up with, I think the plans that we've had for a good decade now. It's exciting. Oh, you're so right. It's so fun for me to work on things for clients because I can come in from a 10,000 foot view and, and do things differently and be able to pull from so many different pieces of understanding. And I do think that there's something to be said about those of us who have been in it for this long, because I also started out in the early 2000s and we do see all those pieces. It's similar to fraudsters of that time, which bear with me for a second, because everyone's like, what? Yeah. back in the day, fraudsters at that time had to know everything from end to end. They had to do everything from pulling the data to monetizing it, the cash mm-hmm. out, all those pieces. Now there's like people that are specialized in certain they're crowdsourcing. Parts of, they're, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, there's yeah. fraud as a service. You can yeah, just right. go and yeah. grab this person and that person and you really only have to know a little bit. And so I think that's the benefit of being a fraud fighter for this long as it's similar, right? We literally had to fight fraud with duct tape and bailing wire and mm-hmm. a few rules back in the day. Yeah. And now to see all this new technology coming out, I geek out over it pretty big with some of the new capabilities that are available. And I can also be scrutinized some of Cynical. others. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I've got the same thing too. We, can, we yeah. don't need to invent a problem here to find, you know, to, yes. to, for the solution. I, I think that right. I run yes. into that all the time. And so you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about of being a fraud fighter. One of the things I did is also have been a consultant for the last little while, both yeah. um, at PwC, I spent three years leading their fraud practice and or and then, and I have my own consulting company now for fraud. Yeah. And one of the things I always anchor in is in fraud, side note, I, I, I remember sitting in Shanghai with our, my chief risk officer at the time. And this is a gentleman that I have so much respect for. It's a gentleman I followed as a CRO around to cut a couple mm. banks. And I'm sitting there with a man I really admired and respected. And in the actual, the ball restaurant, I forget the tower, it's in Shanghai. And I'm sitting mm. there having a conversation talking about this master plan of monitoring dealers for fraud. This is what mm. I was at GMAC Ally and, and how I wanted to build a process to do scoring of automotive fraud. And he said, Ian, it sounds interesting, but you need to know something. Fraud isn't rocket science. And he said, there's a lot of things that I do in managing risk that is really complex and fraud's not one of those. And at first, once my ego, once mm-hmm. I came down from being hurt and from an ego, he's right. And so what I've done is mm-hmm. just simplified the approach on fighting fraud. And the beautiful thing where I was going this whole thing is it all comes down to risk types for us. Yeah. We need to 
classify effectively the fraud risk and mm-hmm. then match the controls and all the solutions, technologies, orchestration, the treatment of those, all those need to be anchored in that fraud risk type. And so that's the secret sauce that I'd had both at, when I was at PwC and the team there and at, and our company Omega. That's yeah. it. That's all we do is we anchor always into the fraud risk type. And it comes down to that taxonomy and having one that can live a little bit of a life and morph with the changing threats. But that's what it comes down to. When we start thinking about all these solutions coming into market, I always ask them, what's the fraud risk? you're solving. Mm. Oh, I'm solving fraud. I'm solving identity. Yeah. Okay. I love those. They're great conference. But what is the problem? Like what, what is right. And then right. also what makes you different? What That's makes, right. yeah. What, why yeah. do people need you? Yeah. And at the merchants of the banks, we also have to do a better job. We, you know how many organizations overspend on things? Like, it's mm-hmm. amazing. And then their real problem is a first party fraud or abuse or something. And they've undersolved that. And it comes down yeah. to just not knowing your fraud risk. Oh my gosh. Just understand and classify and track. So anyway, we went off script a little no, bit. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So little tidbit of just, I think the best consulting consultants that come in, just anchor at that. I mean, that's how mm-hmm. we need as fraud professionals need to make sure that we're looking at the risk type as before we start jumping into solving the fraud problem. I couldn't agree more. That's one of the reasons why I named my company Chargelytics because I have such a background in chargebacks and I understand how much you can learn about your business from your chargebacks. And so I put chargeback and analytics together and smooshed them up. But now there's so much more fraud that's not even tied to chargebacks. I've done a lot of work on refund fraud and promo code abuse and all these other pieces of abuse that actually are, when you know how to quantify it, and this is one of the bigger problems right now, but when you know how to quantify it or what to look at, you can actually see that in a lot of cases, these other problems and our friend in common, Frank McKenna calls it hidden mm-hmm. fraud. A lot of times those are costing companies three times what their chargebacks are yeah. or other pieces. And, and at the same time, we need to know there's always been this old adage that it's easy to stop all of fraud. It's similar to what your CRO said. You can just turn off all of sales or all of mm-hmm. bank accounts or banking or whatever. But the challenge is balancing and making sure that as many good customers can go through with a seamless experience while you are making it more too expensive and too time consuming for bad actors to monetize off of it. That's really the balance, right? And when you come in as a consultant, you can come in from a different perspective, you know what pieces of information you need and okay, this is how it can help. This is how it cannot, this is what we do. I think it's another thing too, is when I, I hear this grand plan, fraud is different than fighting money laundering. And it's, it, we can't forget that it, yes, it's investigative, but it's also operational because mm-hmm. we deal with customers and we deal with more good customers than bad customers. Yeah. And so we have to remember too, and I think this is something that when we talk about the convergence on, on a big topic around in the financial space mm-hmm. is this convergence of money laundering, anti-money laundering, fraud and cyber. And, yeah. and we have to, it's interesting. I, I have some good friends that have taken over fraud divisions coming out of cyber. And the thing that always surprises them is how operational fraud is. Mm-hmm. And you can't, over, you can't automate yourself out of that operational problem because you still have a customer yeah. that is needs to be walked through this very traumatic process. Yes, and that's even happening even more with scams. And so, what we need to make that. sure, yeah. yeah. So, so we need to make sure is that while we come from the analytics and while we come from intelligence and while we want to minimize the expense related to fraud, we also have to remember that operational nature of the customer and the victim. And I actually think that we're going to become even more operational with the type of fraud that we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. It's always going to have that uh, that manual feel. And that's the beauty of being in fraud because we cover analytics. We cover all the sectors, technology, analytics, operations, and investigations. We have the best of all worlds. We truly are in in the banking sector, an operational risk type. We Mm. truly are like we cover all aspects of the, of the dimensions of risk, if you will. It's pretty exciting field to be in. So anybody that's thinking about getting into fraud, come on, we need some help. I agree. And I have a lot of listeners who definitely reach out and they're like, wow, okay, I caught the bug. Now what? And that will have to be a topic for another podcast episode. Cause that can be, I talked about my own career path many episodes ago, but it's everybody's is so different. And these days it's even more different and crazy, but I think that just the excitement and that it's never, we're never done, right? There are some people in other industries that have been doing the same thing the same way for 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) That, that, that wouldn't last. And that's what we love about it is the challenge. Professionals with ADD. I I spent a little time in credit credit risk and our vintage curves, our cycle times were like eight months to know if our strategies worked. And I'm thinking, oh "Oh my gosh, versus being in fraud where within days or weeks that something's broken and you're getting beaten. So to me, it's just a, it's a great risk management. You honestly need the the skills of a risk management professional, the disciplines of risk. Mm. It's the collections, it's the call center. It's all these facets in one field. I know we're, we're really going around in circles here, but clearly we're fraud nerds. But right. I think <laughs> I think it truly is some, something for people that love the human and the technology. It's a great place. 
I agree with you and kind of a funny turn a little bit, but I think it's important is you and I have something in common in our career paths and that is burnout. You Hmm. said it was like an early retirement from fraud. I always wanted to be in fraud, but just hit a point where I was doing too much for too just in a situation where I was giving way too much of myself and cared too much and burnt out physically, mentally, emotionally. And that's actually how I started a consulting was because I legitimately couldn't work a full-time job for a while and then fell in love with that piece. But I know that this time recovering from that burnout led to this next chapter that you're in seeking justice. And, And I also know that we are not the only ones in fraud that have been burnout. Sometimes when we care so much and we have that superhero complex, we, it can also be our kryptonite. So how did lead to parts of where you are at now? Love the question and thank you for asking. So in my last role, I had helped an organization through a really tough time around regulatory and I hadn't dealt a lot with that in my career. And honestly, it was just something that I never would want to go through again. And, and But it's also a beautiful time where I got to really grow a team from scratch. And mm-hmm. anyway, for five years of that, I just wore all the tread off my tires. That's the way I love to describe it. it just, mm. just, and so I, I moved, I got to, you know, again, I lived five countries, 13 states. I got to pick anywhere we wanted to live. I've got a family, we got three kids. And we thought we found Chattanooga, Tennessee when I wasn't allowed to take a real vacation working at the last bank and it's a close drive. And so we just, we just found this beautiful little town here. And so we thought, you know what, let's just go move. And so we moved down to Tennessee. I was so done with corporate America that I basically was, I would have worked at Walmart as a greeter before anything else. <laughs> I had a beard that I hadn't grown. I hadn't cut my facial hair in probably in almost two years. I just was completely done. It was actually the craziest, long, ugliest looking goatee you'd ever seen. But I just was, again, just was done. And so mm-hmm. I was focused on the music. So I would still, I was writing and recording, getting back into the studio and just, I'd be in Nashville a couple of times a week working with my vocal coaches, worked with Beyonce and all the best vocal singers. And so I just would work with her every week. And I was working, working with a lot of people in songwriting and I just was moving to that chapter. And, and then I met somebody, I had a mutual friend down in Atlanta. I would go to his house and hang out there. And I've met Hall of Fame basketball players at his house. I've met all kinds of CEOs of amazing companies. He just has really interesting, really influential person in the Atlanta mm-hmm. area. Just always had the most interesting encounters when I was at his house. And one morning I was there before I was getting ready to fly out to Dallas for a, a fraud consulting favor for a friend. I w- went there and I just spent the evening with him and I woke up the next morning. He always has people sleeping at his house. And I went down for a cup of coffee and I met this gentleman over coffee. His name was Matt Friedman. Matt has spent 30 years fighting human trafficking. He's based out of Hong Kong. And he started talking to me about this topic I knew nothing about. And I'm sitting here having a cup of coffee, thinking about the next song I was recording or something. And, and I just was like, and he started talking about basically not knowing my background at all. He thought I was, he describes it. I was just a music hippie. Right. I was another one of the interesting people at this guy's house, Ross's house. And he starts talking about banks needed to do more. He started using con- concepts of big data. I started mentioning some vendors that we all know mm-hmm. specifically by name that are fraud vendors. And who is this nonprofit guy at Hong Kong? And right. he just, uh, what's he doing here? And he was actually there meeting a couple banks. And he just was on this rant about banks not doing enough fighting human trafficking. And so I'm like, okay, I'll bite. And I right. asked him about human trafficking. And he started talking about even dollar transactions in the middle of the night. And it was enough of an interest that I was like, okay. And he said, can I have your email? I'll send you. I told him I had done banking before. We didn't get into anything. Right. He sent me the red flags of human trafficking that night. And so on the airplane the next morning, I was flying out to Dallas for a consulting engagement. And I got on the plane and I started flipping through this red flags manual. And I got to the red flags and specifically those even dollars transactions in the middle of the night, we used to call them collusive merchants. And it's where they were talking about massage businesses and nail salons. We'd always look for the merchants to potentially go bad on us, bad yeah. merchants. And he started talking about in this magazine or this article about how that's actually people being bought and sold. And yeah. I just started reading that and then a bunch of other red flags and talking about labor trafficking and the problem that, and I grew up overseas in Asia. And so I just remember pictures in my mind. And so I just started reading this. I got to a picture of a young boy who's 12 years old that was caught in labor trafficking and just something broke Carissa. Like something just changed. And over a three week period, I went from not wanting anything to do with the banking to like mm. being so compelled to figure out how I could help. So I joined every nonprofit webinar I could on human trafficking to learn. And I'd get on them and I'd hear about a, a survivor. I'd hear from a survivor and then I'd hear from law enforcement and they would say, give money to the nonprofit. I didn't have a job then. So I'm not giving yeah. any big checks. And I'm like, but that doesn't help me. How can I, an ex-banker help? And so I just started realizing that there's a whole area of people that maybe can do something different and can 
get involved. And so I always used to say to my teams, the most noble profession in banking is fighting fraud. That was what mm. I would tell my teams because we would have these issues. Like we'd have these engagement surveys on my teams where I'd say, how, how engaged is your team? At, yeah, at yeah, these yeah. Banks? And we'd always score low. And I'd be like, why do we score low? Like we're helping people through identity theft. We're helping them through scams. Right. And we didn't make this connection because we're so busy filing SARS and, and working mm-hmm. alerts. And I always used to say that, but I realized, I know this is a long way to get here, but I just realized in that moment, and as I talked to other financial crime fighters, that we in fighting fraud, we in fighting money laundering, we in financial crime just sometimes miss the point of why we do what we do. It's not to save the company money. That really shouldn't be the main driver. It is an important driver and that's why we're employed and we need to be great at what we do. But what we're really doing is fighting evil. We're Mm -hmm. fighting people that are buying and selling people that are funding terrorism that are, this is stuff that I've been told by my compliance friends and and Mm -hmm. a couple of them laugh at me because they're like, Ian, I told you this 10 years ago. I didn't understand. (laughs) And so I realized that that if I could, I was sitting on stage talking to three or 4,000 people about the convergence of AML, cyber and fraud. And I lifted about three or 4,000 of them. And I realized if we could wake them up, there's hundreds hundreds of thousands of financial crime fighters around the world. If we could wake them up, they have the best data, the best technology, the best tools or the best trained. We could outnumber the bad, the evil people by, Mm. I don't know what, 10 to one. And we could actually use better trained people and data and technologies, maybe not as agile, but dude, what an army to wake up. If we could actually remember the human being behind the transaction. And so that's where it was in that moment. I was sitting on stage and I realized that's the mission. It's not to go and support these, a lot of other survivor organizations that are amazing. But for Mm. me, maybe I had been trained for the last 20 years fighting fraud, I could put the skills that I use and the language that we use to just really engage the financial services industry. The ambassador of trafficking, I was in a meeting with him, his name's Ambassador Richmond. He's an ambassador for the US for fighting trafficking. And he said, this is all stuff we know, but I'm going to quote him on it. He said, the reason the traffickers do this is because of monetary gain. And so where does the money flow through? How do they, mm. they use transactions? And so that's the key. And so that's the whole point of this company I created called The Noble, that to awaken, equip, and deploy the best of the best, all of your listeners on the phone, mm. understand the human crime problem and do something about it. Yeah. And I am such a big fan of that. I think that a lot of us in fraud fighting do have that altruistic streak in us. We want to fight evil and all of that. And I think that a lot of us know distantly, but we're aware that a lot of the successful fraudulent transactions and accounts and bust outs and all of that stuff are funding other bad acts and criminal activity, but it's separate from us. We're really just micro-focused on that transactional loss to our company or the impact to the brand or whatever Mm -hmm. that is. And that is very important to your point. That's why we get paid. But there's this other side when we talk to a victim, when we talk to someone that we have say prevented from losing money or whatever else, where you do get that fulfillment. And I think that there are a lot of people on the e-commerce and fintech side that maybe don't totally realize the connection between yeah. human trafficking and financial fraud. I know for me, I worked for or for or with, it was a one-year consulting project for one of the largest online travel agencies in the world. And I saw a lot that looked like human trafficking, last minute hotels reservations on prepaid cards and just other stuff like that. And there also were concerns of terrorism and purchasing stolen cards and things like that, but they weren't directly related. And so I guess my next question for you is for people that are listening and like, okay, well, that sounds great, but what does it look like on my end? Or how would I know if my company was being utilized in this way? What could I do? You know, what I'm sure you have those conversations all the time. What do you say? Yeah. So I think the first thing I love, I love that question because part of it is we don't have all the answers. Yeah. That's where we are in the journey. I think that's why Mm. what we do. And then what so many other, so many other good organizations actually got started around the same time that are also on this mission to figure that out. I, I will tell you, I had this hypothesis that back to the fraud conversation mm-hmm. in about 2020, I had this hypothesis that fraud, the, the things that I'd have spent 20 years fighting is actually tied to trafficking. Like mm. I just sounds so simple, but I didn't know simple, but I didn't know. Yeah. So I was going out and part of the noble, we get to interact with all the major branches of law enforcement. I get to learn from them all the time. They're some of the best professionals we have. And honestly, I, I'll tell you, my appreciation for law enforcement was not even close to what I walk in now. And I'm so grateful for all these amazing law enforcement leaders and agents that have taken us under their wing and, and, and talked to us and trained us. And just part of my mission is to help make their job easier. But I, so I started meeting with these heads of law enforcement. I started asking them, is fraud connected to trafficking? Like I, I don't want to just go around and say that it is without knowing that it is. Right. And so I started meeting with them and there's no report that I could find that says that. 
And so I started meeting with certain levels of agents. And so I went to the top and went one level down. And then we this one agency, I'm not going to name who it is, but one agency was amazing. And they they really helped me. And the, the special agent in charge took up, we started working through it. I met with several of his agents. We finally found some agents that said, Ian, absolutely. And they started talking to me about cases. One case in particular that I remember specifically is this one agent said, I have cases where there are business email compromises and romance mm. scams, and I'm going to get these numbers wrong. But he said something like, there are thousands of these that he found aggregate down to 76, if I remember right, 76 accounts, banking accounts. So those funds come from anywhere. They transfer yep. to 76 accounts. They transfer down into 14, down to three, down to one account in Africa that was trafficking human beings and drugs. And there's a direct tie. And what happened along the way was enrichment. So like I think of the PPP mm. and all these things that we've Ugh. looked at, the mm-hmm. Lamborghinis, you know, yep. being bought. I think what I've heard, and, and this is one of the missions that I have personally as I work through the Noble, what I heard was that there is like the enrichment along the way. So the Lamborghini isn't the full amount of money. There's people in this pyramid scheme of financial mm-hmm. criminals that are being enriched along the way and they're buying Lamborghinis, but the but a big portion of the majority of the funds is going to these organized criminal rings that are yeah. doing very evil things. And along the way, they're justifying it by saying, oh, it's only $150 scam here. It's only this, it's only, and actually all those funds are going through mule accounts and doing horrible things. So I think that connection of the fraud to the trafficking, and we're by no means creased there. Like, so we're working with, we go back to the risk type of fraud. We're working to try to create the typologies and the connections mm. between all these human crimes with the banking, the financial crimes typology sector. So we're trying to create this map of how these work together so that we can create these these models of how fraud is connected to these human crimes. Human crime, by the way, is yeah. trafficking, child sec- child exploitation, mm. scams and elder abuse. Financial sector, I know a lot of the folks on here from the merchant and e-com side, the financial sector, there are these great teams that fight fraud, great teams that fight money laundering, great teams mm-hmm. that fight cyber, but where there's no liability for the banks, most of the time they fall through the cracks and they're not getting addressed. And those these human crimes, while there's oh, maybe some aware. regulations. Okay, sorry, yeah, I'm so, teasing so, from an e-commerce merchant yeah. perspective. I know that every all of them listening are like, "Oh, we're aware that you're aware. If it's yeah. not the liability of the bank, it falls through the cracks, and that it is. happens on our end too. I mean, it's just yeah. it's business. So right. yeah, <laughs> it definitely didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm like, no, you're oh, right. We, no, it's, I'm glad you yeah. did. That's good. I could, we know. That's a, yeah, and it's that's again no fault with no fault with the leaders that are doing it at the same no. time. They um, all have to optimize their business. Yeah, that's right. But if we can work, so we have law enforcement councils and company and organizations with law enforcement, if we can do a better job of getting the information and that just being able to point to tie those together, mm-hmm. I believe that there's enough good people. We have at the Noble, we have over 250 organizations involved with us. I think we have over, I think the number is over 12 or 1300 financial crime fighters that all come in and said, these are from banks and merchants and law enforcement. They all said, I want to be involved in this and we're growing exponentially. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Our partnerships have been amazing, but all these people are coming in. When I meet with them during orientations, I ask them, why do you want to get involved? And I have people from government and the private sector or retired people or people that are in teaching, they're, they're hearing about us and they're coming in saying, I want to do something about this. And I ask them why. And it's because honestly, like they, they want to do good. They believe yeah. that they want purpose in their life. This mm-hmm. is a big thing for me. And they Thank also you. just, they don't, they know that they're in a job that while it may not be like top of the house blessed, they have the opportunity to do good. And so they're wanting to come in. And so that's the exciting part for me is when I hear these stories about why people want to get involved And some it's trafficking, some it's elder abuse and they have mm. real personal reasons. Some mm. it's online exploitation of children and scams is just resonating with everybody right now. And we're all victims of scams. And I think that's why, but scams is just resonating. So it's a real cool time to be doing this. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you, I would, that was going to be my next question was kind of to have you narrow in on what, how you define human crimes and, and human trafficking, et cetera. And as you're talking about it, I'm thinking about real life examples of conversations I've had with e-commerce merchants and fintechs as well. There's a lot of other things that we see while we're diving into fraud and other patterns and other yeah. things. And one example I know that is really impacting a lot of the bigger brand retailers, and I just wrote someone's name down to introduce to you because of this, is these elder abuse scams with gift cards. It is impacting the retailers so bad. And honestly, the liability doesn't lie with the retailers, That's right. but they want to do something so bad and they've done everything they can on the front lines to educate their staff, to put signs up, et cetera. But then the people on the other end are very well-trained social engineers. Mm. It's like having somebody who's never played professional basketball, having to play professional basketball, and then you blame them for why they got dunked on. Like it's, they're not, these elders aren't equipped to understand this. They're trusting and all the other pieces, other 
And a lot of those funds I know go to fund a lot of gross stuff, being completely yeah, honest, yeah, as yeah. well as electronic gift cards. I really yeah. believe there's a lot of money laundering happening yeah. on those right now, um, but they're kind of unregulated in money laundering. There's not really SARS needing to be done. And I know there's a lot of merchants that are seeing some crazy traffic on their electronic gift cards that they don't really know what it means. They're just trying to fight the fraud as well as anyone in travel, event ticketing, mm-hmm. all those pieces. I I know there are bits and pieces that, that they're seeing that they're like, could this be that they could be value? Even if they're not sharing their company data, they can at least provide use cases and examples and, hey, this is what, we, what we're seeing, et cetera. Is that the kind of thing that's helpful? Oh my goodness. So a couple of things, yeah. just story, stories. One just happened today. So I was on the phone with Tennessee has, I think it's 23 or 24 survivor networks in the state of Tennessee. So mm-hmm. I was on the phone with a bunch of them. The way we work at the Noble is we were awakening, equipping and deploying. We're trying to do small projects. So 90 day projects. We did a run around the Super Bowl. We're trying yes. to get, we're trying to drive systemic change. We're not trying to mm-hmm. sell anything. We're not trying, right. we're trying to get the organizations to work together. We do this through these small projects. We've got a small project right now with the survivor networks. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to get intelligence and insights from the survivor networks. And what they were asking me is, Ian, are you guys looking at alternative payments? And they talked about Cash App and they talked about, yep. I, hate to name, I hate to name them. And so I apologize. So maybe, but, but, but we named some just alternative payment methods. The and then they also- peer networks the peer-to-peer are, networks. yes, very. But they didn't yeah. mention one that I'll name, but I've first time I ever heard this, they were talking about Roblox. Yes. And, wow. and they started talking about like that, that being mm-hmm. a way that they're actually trying to exploit children. And I start looking at this whole thing where this is the only reason I guess, and, and this is no knock on Roblox, by the way, my son is one of your biggest, and like my 12 year old <laughs> loves your platform. Yep. I actually know. Yep. You have, I know you have a lot team. of great games. So I I'm know a few of their team members. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, not so right. I want to make sure. But I'm, <laughs> so interesting to me is I'm hearing the way that they are monetizing and creating value in cryptocurrencies. We have what we do. We have some groups around and some cryptocurrency experts around Bitcoin or crypto mm-hmm. ATMs. And to me, they're looking to trade equities or trade value in any way they can. And so I think that's what's really important for us as we start looking at how how both good people monetize and any construct that we intend for good, the fraudsters or the evil people will do for bad. We know that. So mm-hmm. we just need to be mindful that as we introduce these really well-meaning constructs that they may be used for not so good things. Gift card is a great example that's been around forever. So Walmart- but as crypto is having a lot more regulations, there's just- just in the last, I mean, it's always been a problem, e-gift cards, yeah. especially electronic ones. But I would say in the last six months to a year, it's exponentially bad. So I don't think I'll get in trouble for this. And if I do, I guess I'll ask for forgiveness. But we Walmart's become a member of the Noble mm. and they're sponsoring a project. I think we're announcing it next week. So maybe by the time this is released, I yeah. don't know. So we're announcing it. So we're announcing it. And so it'll be, they're sponsoring a project related to gift cards, specifically it's gift card fraud, especially uh, specific to elders. I know there was a big piece that was just written. There about was them, in CNBC. But- Yep. But they want to encourage in their peers and the rest of the organizations to start looking at gift cards and, and really looking at the impact. And I love that they're going after the scam piece. Mm-hmm. I will tell you though, gift cards is a vehicle that's being used to create all kinds of human crimes. And because of the anonymity that comes with it and just the very construct, the good news is it it can be, and this is go back to consortiums and how we solve it. Mm-hmm. It's anchored in a depository account. Somebody's got to pay for it. So there's a financial relationship to pay for the initial gift card load. And it's anchored in the merchant that can. So if we can find a way to work together between financial services and the merchant, I think we can solve a big piece of it, but it is always going to be attractive. Mm-hmm. But You and but I will a- be talking offline about that because I Good. have some ideas. Also, there's, I have several retailers that would love to to join Walmart in that initiative. Some people specifically have really taken this on as their kind of pet project within their company wanting to do it. And they want to work. They've, I've actually been facilitating a couple of introductions to that team at Walmart oh, after that article came out. Oh, week. Cool. And so that this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I really think while you have done amazing work in the fintech space and role in the financial space with the Noble, people in e-commerce and fintech to know about you as well and to work Work with you because I think there's a lot of opportunity. A couple of like anecdotal stories I've heard from merchants related to human trafficking. One is a marketplace mm-hmm. that traditionally allows users to upload pictures and they sell from one user to the other. They're not going to a central warehouse or whatever. One of them discovered that when posting pictures of kids' clothes, there would be some postings like look at the look closely at the SpongeBob and the SpongeBob would be on someone's yep. shirt would be you know, 
on a small young girl's shirt sure. would be inappropriate, or then they would put a price for something else that wasn't related to the clothing and, and all of that. And those are things that these marketplaces are having to content moderate. And they're essentially catch and releasing because that's all they can do is just ban them from their website. But they're, I think I share these just to kind of give people an idea of what yeah. they might be seeing in their world, because we often don't really think past the financial and monetary yeah. impact of fraud. As far as Roblox, I will back you up and say, I've actually been really impressed with them. I They've done quite a bit to try to keep kids safe. They're yeah. one of the videos. I've noticed such that, a big difference just in my yeah. son's interactions. I'm very grateful to them. Especially um, compared to some of the other gaming platforms and companies out there that don't do as good of a job moderating content as well as protecting payment fraud and all that. But it's so funny. You know, so I've talked to hundreds of C-suite executives and I talk about this just like you. Yeah. I talked to in, in thousands of financial crime fighters. I've only ever had one person after I tell them the story, look at me dead, say, dead serious and say, I never want to hear this again. One person. Wow. So what I'm going to tell you mm -hmm. is if I use that as my data points, I have to tell you most people, even at these companies that maybe aren't doing enough, my guess is they're still good people. The issue, yeah. I think part of it's maturity. So you get a new organization that just launches a website or just launches an offering. I look at the Noble. Or I've mm -hmm. got this issue on Omega. We just started eight months ago and we're growing like crazy, but we yeah. can't keep up with the basics. Like part of it's just, I think, honestly, if you have these ex exponential growth curves, arguably the Facebooks, when they first came out, all these things, when you start talking about the exponential that you, you, until you hit critical mass, now there's no excuse when you've hit critical mass, but until you hit critical mass, and especially you're, you're not thinking about true. getting abused in a way that is outside of your intended use. And so I think for us mm. in this space, as we encourage each other, I'm always glass half full, optimistic as we start encouraging each other. Yeah, we need to be that. And so we need to obviously look at the risks and we need to educate ourselves on all kinds of risks, but also we need to join networks and work with each other that are passionate about these other things and not be afraid to just, we have a couple forums and round tables where it's the Chatham house rules. Mm. And so we're, yep. we're organizations are coming together and saying some very embarrassing things saying, I want to stop online sexual exploitation of children, but I don't know how, or yeah. just, it's funny. We just did a survey with 40 financial institutions and, and we're going to about to put this out, I think next week or the week after, and 60% of them have human trafficking detection in place, which is amazing. Mm. I'm like, wow, that's wow. great. But then you look at the that 60% and may I say half of them, I'm going to get the stats wrong. I actually feel good about it. The other half are just at infancy. And so you start looking where we are, but we need to create an environment where just because it's the law to report suspicious activity for human trafficking, we can say that. But what does it really mean? We need to be okay to grow together. And this is true for merchants. So I love this about Walmart and any and, and TikTok is actually surprisingly mm -hmm. increased. They're doing yeah. it on scams. Like I've been me. impressed. Yeah. yeah. We need to come together. And so anybody that has a heart on the merchant side for driving change, they're great organizations. But how we work is Walmart called us and said, mm -hmm. Ian, we want to sponsor a project. That's how we work as a nonprofit. We want to sponsor mm -hmm. a project for the benefit of everybody. What I say is fighting evil is not competitive. Full stop. Yeah. Fighting fraud. Okay. Compete. Fighting money laundering. Yeah, we argue. But honestly, when we talk about the human beings behind this, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but we should not be, this should not be competitive. So this is where organizations are come to us and say, we're passionate about training frontline people or we're passionate mm. about. And so we want to build a training or we want to do this. That's how we work. And it really takes one organization to come in and just get passionate about something. And then for the benefit of everyone in a non-competitive way where we actually have, it's funny, Chris, you're going to appreciate this. We have competitors that are in the direct competition of transaction monitoring that are on the phone together mm -hmm. talking about how to put transaction, how to offer free services to their organizations to detect trafficking. And it blows my mind. Wow. I love that. That's goodwill. That's us working in this space mm -hmm. the right way. And those um, are the kind of transaction monitoring companies that other merchants want to work with, other than the ones right. that are just focused on their bottom that's line right. and pleasing their investors and all of that. I think, so you mentioned a couple different things, the projects and stuff that you've done. And one project that you mentioned briefly, but I really want to dive into it a little bit is the Super Bowl. I know that Prove sponsored that. I spoke with Marianne Miller at MRC yeah. and uh, at a presentation and all that. And I think so highly of her. Yeah. And I am curious to know like what the mission was, how it worked. Anecdotally, I had told you prior to this happening and I just knew time-wise it wouldn't work, but some of the event ticketing companies have done yeah. stings at Super Bowls on stolen tickets and have run into human trafficking happening at the same time or related to stolen tickets or people are selling them or just various different pieces. So I knew that, that was going on there because of the, I knew there were some connections between financial fraud and human trafficking, but yeah. what was the purpose? What was the outcome? All of the above. You get to deal with such wonderful people. And Marianne's just one of those. She's on the board of the Noble. And honestly, I'll tell you, like, I'm so grateful for our community of just people that want 
to just yeah want to collaborate. It, it's, it's, we're so fortunate. And so I was on a meeting. Marianne called me one evening and, and said, Ian, I've got a couple of my clients that may have found trafficking. Can we get on the phone with Homeland Security? So I called uh, our friends at Homeland Security, the Center for Countering Trafficking. We got a gentleman, an agent named, I shouldn't say his name, but he's a wonderful guy. I love talking to him. We got him on the phone and, and Marianne and Frank McKenna was on the call. Mm-hmm. We were talking about these warning signs and, and he, he said, I don't know about this, but he, we started talking about what's happening. And he started, he was just in the conversation. He was saying that he had worked with seven banks and that number roundabout and, and around the Super Bowl. And I started thinking we can do more than seven. I had never been involved. And like, I, I thought they were working with them individually. It turns out they were actually working with them collectively. I didn't know. I thought there was mm. nothing organized going on. Yeah. And so we went out to our network and we said, let's do something around the Super Bowl. Let's share intelligence. And mm. I have two pieces. One, we were working with the local uh, organ- law enforcement in LA and some national, some federal law enforcement to get intelligence fed to these. And the second thing was we wanted to put scenarios, detection scenarios in place at these banks. So mm. that was the goal of the project. Marianne was on the call when we were think we came up with this idea and her and Prove decided to come in and sponsor it. It was nothing about their technology. They, they just had a heart for this and said, yeah. let's do this. And that's what I love. So we threw it out to our membership and we had a whole bunch of organizations saying they wanted to be a part of it. We narrowed it down to the, the financial institutions, 30 of them. They were both North American organizations and local organizations. And, and we got on the phone and we started sharing intelligence from law enforcement and we put three detection scenarios in place. And I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I should actually, but I, I think it was like 20, there were like 20 leads that were followed up on, I think 12 new leads that were sent to law enforcement just out of a three-week effort that we did. Hmm. And on, and they, they had some success with that. And this is the part that excites me. Along with the actual rescuing of people, which is amazing. Again, I want to see sustainable, scalable change. Hmm. There are organizations of those 30 that didn't ever have any detection rules in place on human trafficking that now today at three scenarios in place, monitoring trafficking. That's the kind of sustainable change that we hmm. want to see. It's right. So that's what we're doing with these projects. We're, we're doing one again and, and it'll get announced. So I won't talk about, there's an event coming up next month where we have multiple of these kind of events coming up that, that we're not trying to, there are now a couple organizations that are doing similar things. I don't want to say we're the only ones, but what we're trying to do is in a non-competitive way without a solution, mm. we're trying to bridge the gap between law enforcement and the banks and get the banks to start dipping their toe into the water in a safe way. And so this next one we're doing, we're going to beat the 30 banks that are involved and we're going to just keep doing this until this becomes muscle memory, mm. until it becomes something that doesn't need to be event driven. Yeah. It's driven at like just ongoing. That's what we want to see. And you know, at the Noble, my goal is not to do anything that anyone else is doing. I love organizations like Polaris and NICMIC, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. They're great. Like that, but uniquely like us bringing financial crime fighters and fraud fighters together, like we can do that. And that's that's what I see us doing is, is coming in and trying to drive that ongoing change. And if something cool comes out of it, it's wonderful. But I, I tell you, my last thing to say on the topic is when I get to talk to people that are involved in our projects and there are people like you and I that have been in the career of fraud fighting and they come back and say, Ian, I have a new purpose. I can't tell you, like mm. I could list so many names right now. There's a reason I get up. I feel this every day. I spend my first half of my day on the Noble, mm. second half of my day on the, the for-profit fraud consulting that, by the way, we give 10% of all of our revenue to the Noble because I almost had to close the Noble down that last year. I'm not ever going to run into that situation again. But when I talk to people that are operating out of the way, I feel every day Mm. where it's I'm living for a purpose. I'm living because I know that I'm tied to doing good. Those just bring me so much happiness when I get to talk to our members that just are a part of these efforts and Mm. are coming in. We have a project called Umbra around detecting online sexual exploitation of children. And banks didn't know that they could do that. Like on streaming platforms like these, there is live streaming of children in horrible situations and it's heartbreaking. And I know it's not an easy thing to talk about, but when, because we lost travel went down, there was actually an exponential increase of live streaming. So the banks got together and said, what can we do about it? And turns out that the banks actually can detect this stuff, which is mind blowing with a couple banks, one in particular, I won't name them, said, we figured out how to do this. We put this in place at five banks. It's getting ready. Project Umbra phase two is getting ready to launch for the everybody that basically is going to help them detect online streaming of children, like sexual exploitation of children. It's it's mind blowing. And the people that I talk to that are part of that, they're so rewarded. They're fighting money laundering. They're fighting fraud every day. But at the same time now, they're actually tied to like really amazing human things. And they get to be involved in amazing discussions with law enforcement. I think we're all just searching for a little bit of meaning and on why we show up every day because mortgages and car payments and new iPhones aren't enough to keep us all going. We all need a little bit of humanity. And I think that's what I love more than anything about what we're doing. I couldn't agree more. And I think that you really touched on something a couple minutes ago that I really agree with too. There's something magical about the people that were drawn to fraud prevention and that have stayed in it. We can instantly have a connection 
action and, and talk deeply very quickly and all of that. But also we have a heart for helping people and for making an impact. And that's something that I think is rare. And also it's also rare in any other industry that I know of where we all know each other. It's a pretty small yeah. industry and we all work together, even if our corporations are competitors, et cetera. Yeah. And it's just, it's such a magic thing that pointing us in a direction in addition to fighting financial fraud, but trying to help. And I appreciate the fact that you don't have all the answers that you're yeah. like, Hey, let's, let's get people together and talk about this and let's have an hypothesis and try it out. And it's amazing that you've had companies that come in and, and sponsor these efforts and hopefully more so will do that, you know, whether they're solution providers or merchants yeah. or fintechs, et cetera, because it really is a gift, not only to the industry, but to just the people of our Hello. world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of bad stuff that have come out of technology. We've got to like pay it back. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's so a lot of good things too that have come out of technology, but there's like some side effects and some symptoms that we can right. tackle in this, in a very similar way to financial fraud, looking at patterns, looking at outliers, asking questions, detecting, and then preventing. I've talked to regulators on this and law enforcement, and I plead with them, don't just go to the compliance departments. Oh my please. gosh. Because, and I love my compliance counterparts. Yeah. I mean, I love them so much. I have so much to learn from them. They're, so They're important. Excellence, but at the same time, get the fraud people and get the cyber people involved because one, the fraud people know how to look at anomalies. They know how to look for a detection and they're talking to the customers. We need the fraud fighters involved. It's not just a check the box thing. And so we need them. And the mm. cyber people, the understanding, the intelligence you can get from the network side and yeah. all the attacks. Like, so the only way we, we understand solve the this, practical application. Yes. It's so not the just, fraud people yeah. need to be involved. We, so, so that's my request. Every fraud fighter on the phone on this and, and everyone I talk to on the phone is, is just, it doesn't matter how simple. I've got a great story. So a top six bank, the head of fraud deposit, I won't name him, but you'll know if, if he listens to you, you'll know who he is. The executive there, head of deposit operations and fraud said, Ian, I'm in, what can I do? And so we had a one time, we call it an awakening event where I come and talk and we come bring law enforcement and we have this mm -hmm. event. I've talked to thousands of people, hundreds of people and five people. And we had one of these awakening events events with his entire team, his leadership team about, excuse me, human trafficking. And from that, that was it. So we met for two days and we had this awakening event and we went away. Weeks later, I get a call from him and they said, oh, so we trained all of our frontline retail branch employees. We put a training together from it. We don't, it didn't have all the answers, but we put training together and we have escalated, suspected. I think the number was two trafficking rings from that. That goes back to, this is a fraud person with their fraud team saying, I want to do something about this. And that's just Something little like that. It's it brought so much meaning to the team and it honestly it moved the fight forward. I love it so much. I'm obviously very pro-collaboration in anything, yeah. but especially when it impacts real lives and comes at it from a different perspective. And I just cannot thank you enough. And obviously we could talk for so much longer, but need to wrap it up soon. Yes, I did do. want to ask you a little bit about Omega. It is your other baby, so to speak. Yep. I'm very familiar with needing to have a consultancy to fund yeah. passion projects. And so would love to share, have you share a little bit about what type of projects you're working on and who your customers are at Omega. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, so Omega yeah. is the reason I created Omega. When I said I almost had to create shut down the noble last year, three times. Mm. I'm a thousand percent true. And, and I, one time, thank God, middle of the year, one of our, we got a family foundation came in and just rescued us. And it was wonderful. But I would tell you, we, we have a very small budget, a very small team, but it's just not cheap to just do all the things we're trying to do. We, we operate mm. on volunteers as much as we can. And just, I realized I needed to focus more on it. So I spent, I left PwC as a partner there. And I loved that company, by the way. And I have a lot of great friends there. One of the men I respect and admire the most, a gentleman named Sean Joyce, used to work for the FBI as a partner there. And it's very hard for me to leave, but I knew I needed to spend more time on the noble. And so I spent six months there, but I needed to find a one way to pay my own bills. Yeah. And, but two, find a sustainable way, more importantly, on how to keep the noble operating. So what I did is partnered with a gentleman named Ben Wallach. Ben was the head of fraud at like PNC and BBNT and just a similar model. He's on our board here. And he, we just said, let's just go and let's give starting 10% of all of our revenue. And so we have 10 consultants, I think now, or maybe 12, I think it's 12 as of next Monday that just come together. They're all fraud experts. Our average years of fraud experience, I think is 23 years. We've all come together and said, you know what, we're going to charge reasonable rates and we're going to give 10% of all gross revenue to the noble. This year will be the single largest donation to the noble already. We've been only around six months. And I'm going to tell you the exponential problem is serious, but having experts like yourself, Carice, like for an organization to come in and hire a place that knows that they know what they're talking about. We've been in the trenches before and the rates are reasonable and we're trying to do good. Now we're transparent. Like, so that's, that's what we decided to do. So one's the consulting stuff. And then secondly, this is what I'm, I don't know, as 
excited about is at the end of the year, we're doing a pilot. We're going to pilot 20. Uh, we're going to create an operations end to end fraud operations center. It's a boutique operations center. It's going to be just for, it's going to do everything from analytics all the way through detection and investigations. We're going to have it based here in Chattanooga and then a second site eventually in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got a bunch of partners that we're going to launch this operations center. And the goal is to hire experts to be designed by fraud experts to run just complex operations kind of work. But also I'm trying to hire victims of trafficking and victims of financial crimes to also, I had some good conversations about that this morning. We have conversations next week. So we're trying to create, there's all these boutique operation centers that exist for money laundering in the financial sector. There really aren't any for fraud. And so mm-hmm. outside of the processors themselves. And so we're just getting fraud fighters together to say, let's do what we do, but let's try to create generational impact. And this is where we're partnering with some of the survivor organizations and other companies to just come in and try to find people that are more vulnerable vulnerable, find people that are underprivileged, teach them. We all know these stats, like there's 400,000 unfilled cyber jobs right now. I don't know if that includes fraud. That's hard to know. And so we need fraud people. And so why not train mm. them? And, well, and yeah, so they have gonna, a strong sense of justice. If they didn't before, they do now after story being victims of yeah. you know, cyber fraud and human trafficking yeah, and that's all right. of that. That's a so, great idea. So that's what we're doing. So we're building mm. that, piloting it this year, starting wow. with 20 people, and we're going to grow that next year. And that's one of the things we're, again, trying to live out of the center of purpose. And it's not about money. It's not Mm. about, it's not about title. It's not about, it's about literally just going and spending a life, wasting your entire life on good, trying to just pour it out and just say, you know what, I'm going to take all the skills I have and all the energy I have and navigate all the COVIDs and all the distractions and just work together. Freedom is our model at Omega. So we want freedom Mm. for our consultants. So we ask all the consultants to define that, but freedom is our core uh, tenant of value of what we want. Mm. We want to create a construct that's free for everyone involved. And and so we tried to bake that into everything. We're excited. I've got, we're also doing a technology thing, but I'm going to tell you, I'm so excited to be able to use the training that we've all had. We've excited. My business partner is just as excited. All the, the, the great leaders that we have pulled in are just so excited about trying to figure out a way to do good mm. and earn a living. Yes. And there's no reason they should be apart from each other. There's so much need. So anyway, that's what we're, that's what we're, you uh, and I are we're doing. kindred spirits. There's a it. percentage of the funds that Chargelytics, that I bring in from Chargelytics every year that goes to a, a charity for kids. It, you and that's and you and your brand are so strong, so good. You're, you're oh, such a great you. fraud fighter that so many people that I interact with just talk about the work that you do and how well you do it and just the person you are. Thank and you. I, it's like, there's so many people out there. Some are opportunistic and just trying to sell something. There's nothing wrong with that. If you guys would have talked to me 15 years ago, I still was optimistic or 10 years ago, but I wasn't operating out of this. Not everybody needs to be as ridiculous as us or me, Right. but I will tell you, you truly are just a gift to the fraud community. Oh. And thank you for doing what you're doing with this podcast and just how you fight the fight. And you just didn't give up. My goodness. Thank goodness you didn't. I think we both, you and I, thank goodness you didn't give up either, right? I think that some of that comes with age and and time, figuring out boundaries and realizing that we can't exhaust ourselves for this effort, but that we can still live with purpose and still make things up on our own terms. There are a lot of big name consultancies out there that are going to charge a ton of money for sometimes not that much value, not where you were before, just other ones. (laughs) I'm such a big proponent on just doing good. And I feel like the world, it comes back to you, right? There's a lot of things I do that are not ever going to directly contribute to my bank account, but they're so fulfilling. And a lot of times things come back around. And I think you and I both live by that. And I hope that is helpful to other people to hear that you don't always have to go by the model that maybe corporate America has for everyone. That's right. The model of corporate America. And yet we need a lot of good people in those pots too. And so yes, we do. just, just as an encouragement for everybody that's listening, Thank you for what you do every day. Mm. I know it's hard. Carice and I have both been there and thank you for fighting that good fight. And mm. we need you to do more. This is a great field to be in. So be recharged and refreshed. This is a battle that doesn't stop. So take care <laughs> of each other. And for all those service providers and vendors, stay focused on the mission. Yes. Yeah. I think if you can put the mission first, and I saw this at PwC as we grew the number one fraud practice when I was there. And I would tell you that people can see through, are you just trying to sell something? Are you passionate about what it is that you do? And so for those that are in this that space, I just encourage you to fall in love with this topic because it impacts a lot of good people and we need more innovation. So there's a need for your platform and your solution, but fall in love with the problem. It's mm. okay to do that. It's okay to get excited about it because if you're authentic in what you sell, it's you're not selling anything. You're, you're just so talking right. about 
Yeah. Yeah. I've been working with a few select solution providers over the last year and a half, two years, had to pivot a bit with COVID as we all did. And that's something that I really preach as well. And I see it pay off so big. The merchants, they're very smart. We all mm-hmm. know how to detect all kinds of little tiny details that usually most people wouldn't. And we can tell motivation very quickly. That's our job. We have to tell motivation through just a few data points. So if we're having a conversation with you, you've given us so many more data points than we usually have to detect yeah. motivation. And you're so right. It Good attracts good. And I think that people who have purpose and mission and who genuinely want their product to help people, That's right. those are the companies that I enjoy having be sponsors on my podcast. Those are the companies I enjoy helping succeed. I get just as excited as they are as they reach all the milestones. One of them just got just announced their, one of the companies I've been working with for several months just announced their seed round being funded by a very famous person and those kind of things. Yeah. So it's very fun. But obviously you and I could talk for We've already gone over, but that's fine. (laughs) That was to be expected. But there's you have another treat for us, which I think is so rare for my, I mean, as in never been done before for fraudology listeners. And that is that you mentioned that you write songs and you perform songs. And I believe you would like to do that as we go out on this episode. And I'm going to have a a hard time, like not, I don't know, have, it's going to be a little funny, weird for me, like having, watching you perform, but I am really looking forward to this. I think it's, I love that you lean into all your passions. And I hope that is an encouragement to everyone that fraud doesn't have to be in its own lane or its own silo in your life. They can all work together to create a whole person. The word that I keep, I try to anchor it is authentic. I mean, we're yes. all made so uniquely and differently. And so what we need is everyone that's listening, all of us to be authentically mm-hmm. ourselves. And I'm a quirky, unique person. Part of it is I've been writing and recording songs for a long time. I used to tour world with a lot of just church stuff and everything. And then I just mm-hmm. started realizing I wanted to write just about me and my life. And so what I started doing is writing several years ago, just about my journey of finding purpose. Mm-hmm. So one of the songs I'm going to play a different song, but I'm going to play a song that just is anchored in that message. And it's a song I wrote when I was years ago, when I moved to the mountain, right after I moved to the mountain, started created the noble. It's probably about five years ago now. And it's a song called old dirt road. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the journey of being burned out. It talks about the journey of where I was when I had nothing left and finding a life worth living. And that's what I, so this is one of the ones that I probably play more often than not nowadays, but it's just such a great song. And after our conversation, it just fits so well. All right. We go. I moved to the mountain three years ago. I was all done with the man I used to know All washed up, I had done my time Made my dues, made it out just fine This is a song about a man that could rise from the ashes Still do some good Find a new passion down the old road And make a new life That day I would not go back Nothing gonna change the cold hard fact Been burned up and broken on down My mind was spent and my passion left town This is a song about a man that good Rise from the ashes, still do some good Find a new passion down the old road Make a new life, a life worth living Here's a song about a man that could rise from the ashes, still do some good. Find a new passion down the old road, make a new life. This is a song about a man that could rise from the ashes, still do some good. Find a new passion down the old road, make a new life. Amazing.
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.